Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. Today's guest is Richard Fitzgerald. Richard is the CEO and founder of Augustus Media, an award-winning modern media company in the UAE and KSA, publishers of Love in Dubai, Love in Saudi, and Smashy. He has worked in the media advertising space since 2006 at agencies in Ireland, England, and the UAE, and has over 15 years of experience. During this episode, we discuss his journey building Augustus Media, we talk about the mindset behind building audiences and content creation, how media is consistently evolving, and what has made Love in Dubai so successful. And the last message he wanted to share is just support Khalid and continue to help him build this podcast. And you know what? I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Please welcome to the show, Mr. Richard Fitzgerald. Thanks, Khalid. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we had a little bit of a press record issue <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, yeah. but uh, but no, really good to be on. I hope it helps. Glad we didn't make it to the end. Yeah, but, and, yeah, yeah. thank God. Thank God I caught it <laughs> when I did. So sorry about that, man. Um, so uh, guys, for if you haven't heard about Richard, you've definitely heard about Love in Dubai, um, at which everyone here knows. And I know you guys also have Love in Saudi and Smashy TV as well. Um, and I know you guys have been in the market for about six years. You know, you're looking to expand Love in, the concept of loving into multiple, you know, different countries and stuff. Um, and I've heard that you've had some challenges in different markets. It's a bit harder and so on. Um, but I know you guys also produce content and everything. Um, so I wanted to just dive in today with Richard into a couple of things, you know, about media, about, you know, the, in the, the industry, your experience in it. And I guess some of the things that maybe have made uh, Love in Dubai so, so successful and how we can launch that. But sure. before we get into everything, why don't you give all of us a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, and so, we'll take it from there. So thank you. It's good to be on the podcast. I'm always impressed by content creators like you uh, going about this. So uh, nice to be on. Thank you. Uh, I come from the countryside in Ireland. Uh, I studied in Dublin. And uh, after graduating, I ended up sort of looking for a role in advertising uh, marketing industry. Uh, it was about 2006. Uh, I was reading about digital. So I, na I navigated my way into that field and then got passionate about social media and uh, sort of grew from there. Moved to London to a big social media agency and then a media agency. Uh, you know, my career was sort of growing. Uh, four or five years later, I ended up in Dubai as a social media director uh, for a big group, and it was they had twelve offices across the region, so it really exposed me to the Arab world, and I, you know, I got to really like it, got to you know enjoy the different cultural nuances and things like that. And uh, yeah, and then you know, in 2015, I'm here ten years. Uh, I was a bit restless. I wanted a sort of a challenge, uh, and I ended up uh, basically setting up Love in Dubai, and uh, it's grown from there into Augustus Media and, and other brands. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man, and th that's a really great story. Um, one thing um, from my, the research I did was, so I know you worked in, uh, Dub in Dublin, that's where you started, <clears throat> then moved to London, and then you came here. Now... Uh, from what I heard from your story on the, the previous podcast was that at each in each place you you grew in different levels but one thing that was a common throughout and what kind of forced you I guess not forced you but led you to really take that leap and 
launch your own uh, company was that you felt that they never matched your ambition in terms of, you know, what they were trying to do. Uh, you know, you always wanted that director role, but they wouldn't give it to you. They would, I'll wait for a year, but you didn't want to wait. Um, so, there seemed to be, <laughs> so there seemed to be a common theme. Um, so I guess the, where I want to start is from your mindset perspective, what was it, I guess, through all, because you've been in the industry for a very long time at that point, almost 10 years. What was it about that, you know, that, that click that you're like, you know what, I'm not waiting for anyone anymore. It's my time to do it because it's a scary thing. Yeah, there definitely was the jumping off point of like, of being an employee, you know, and to, to jump off. But it was kind of gradual for me. And I still feel like an, I'm an employee here, right? I still act like and work like an employee uh, you know, I just um, maybe a bit more responsibility, but there was definitely a jumping off point where uh, it was a bit scary. But uh, you know, I think the I think it's like everything. You know, once you if you have a drive for something, if you want to make something happening, uh, the, you might the timing mightn't happen at the right uh, as soon as you think. Like you know, but eventually it happens, and eventually it happened for me. And it wasn't. Um, there were times when I spoke to people. Uh, while I was working in social media agencies to set up social media agencies. Like this happened from 2009, 2010, 2014, 2015. Like I spoke to investors. Someone I'd meet in another agency and if we were chatting outside of work, we'd talk about it. You know, it was always there. Uh, But it was never never there, but it was always there. And, you know, this isn't a social media agency and like this is basically what I ended up with. (laughs) Uh, But it's in the same space and I still feel like it's very similar. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Um, I didn't know that you had all those, you know, separate conversations a lot over the years about, you know, what would it look like to set up a social media agency and so on and speaking to investors as well to getting that insight. Do you feel that now reflecting back, I guess, all those conversations about that, thinking about like setting it up and maybe also from a concept of, you know, investors, what are they looking for? Do you feel like that has helped you in uh, in launching it? Yeah, Kyle, I think like my approach is I'm kind of a transparent, open book kind of person. And if I'm trying to figure something out, I kind of talk about it. I talk about it in podcasts. I talk about it with friends. And, you know, it's just a process, really. You know, the next the ambitions and plans for this company, uh, I'm figuring out by talking about them, by you know, bouncing them off people and, and things like that. And it would have been the same process with, you know, thinking, uh, what does a social media agency look like? Is, is it a real-time agency? Is it, you know, is it the Gary Vaynerchuk approach of uh, just churning out loads and loads of content? Would brands like that? Like all these type of things. And one of the big questions I think people have is when they do a career for 10, 20 years and when they're in an industry, they feel like, and it's just a view, but they feel like that uh, there's two realizations. One is that um, they want to do something else, but they feel like they need a unique idea and they underestimate their experience and they underestimate doing the same thing with a different culture. You know, doing the exact same thing, like you've done it for 10, 15 years, you know, what, what, who is employing you? Nothing. It's just a name. It's a brand, a bit of culture and someone who's got clients and some boss or someone else who may or may not be better than you, you know, so that's it. Uh, so and then on the other side, then people sort of don't believe in themselves on that level. And then they try and think that their industry is broken because they have frustrations with it. 
Okay. The industry isn't broken. You know, if, if an industry is generating revenue it's un- unprofitable, how can it be broken? <laughs> Fair. Um, it might be out of date on some levels and needing revamping, but it isn't broken. So instead of, so they try and find the one thing that they think is wrong with their current job, which actually might be born out of frustration. And then they pick something very unique and then they say that that's going to disrupt it. And sometimes it does in a startup world, but other times it doesn't because what, they're coming up with isn't really needed and what they're coming up with it won't replace the fact of the matter of what this current industry is producing there's mm. supply and demand already in the industry and i think in our industry and in services uh, people would often tell me that the indus- that the model is dead you know and in, in media that the model is dead but ambitious smart people uh can come up with uh a new way to you know, to reach that sort of fragmented media audience, right? So you can still have a good media buying and, and creative agency. It mightn't be a traditional agency like they had for TV ads, but it can still be a, a creative agency. And the same with journalism. You know, journalism, just because local newspapers are shutting down and people aren't paying for the print, doesn't mean that journalism is dead. It's like consumption happens in media. So how do you create a, a version of that? And we did that. We did that with... Out, uh, without raising big valuation and without disrupting anything. We just literally uh, believed that you could do something with experience. That's what we did. I think something you said is really refreshing. And I actually only had this realization, <clears throat> I'd say, two months ago. So um, I'm the host of the AUD podcast as well. So we had a guest on, a mis- uh, and he was, he is the guy who, he's a, sorry he's a CEO of Brands for Less Um, and when I was doing my research and listening to his story it echoed what you were talking about in the sense that he's like he went he went to the states once he saw TJ Maxx he saw that model and he's like okay there's that doesn't exist here he went and did it and you know like look at him now and I think (laughs) um, yeah and I've talked about how um, that I think there's an um, misconception with entrepreneurship is that it has to, like you were saying, it has to be a unique idea. No, it can just, can I do it better, faster? Uh, is there a new medium for me to, you know, produce X product or so on? Um, but one thing that I think is uh, really interesting is I think when it comes to, like, I'm curious to get your perspective on this. In Dubai, there's a, a million agencies, like millions and millions. And you know, I ha- I know many friends who have worked in them. My fiance works in one, um, and I didn't hear the stories. And I them like as an account manager, like what happens to you sounds like a disaster. And I think, do you think, for example, with the landscape here and I guess the working culture mindset here, that there is space for something to change like that, or is it just you know if you go from one to another, it's another day, just you know same same kind of stuff it doesn't have to be i think i think if you're leading to the same kind of stuff in a negative way it, it doesn't have to be you know there can be healthy environments that you know agencies can have good cultures um it is the service industry you yeah. know it's like having a, a crappy restaurant job and a good restaurant job you know you can agencies served me well i've had difficult jobs i worked in like six or seven agencies over sort of 10 years or so and uh well not even but around that and then uh but you know like 
there are times where I found it difficult. I found the environment stressful, both the external environment of the service industry and the internal environment and had anxiety and things like that. But, it, you know, I, I don't hear and I don't, you know, it's something that we culturally look out for. You know, there was one of our offices that uh, that was happening in this year. And I've, you know, I felt I felt that that was the one thing I wanted to solve. Like gotcha. before making profits in that office, I just wanted I didn't want anyone leaving or going home at night uh, feeling stressed because of the environment that we created. You know, so you know you can talk all sorts of empathy, all sorts of sort of things like that. But I do believe in in the agency model. I believe in working in the office, not working from home. <laughs> I believe in um, you know. Uh, a career I believe in learning at different levels I believe in uh, different skills learning about leadership learning about management uh, uh, and I like the s- industry that we're in because it's it's services but it's also applied we, you really have to think you know to do your job well you have to think and yeah, you yeah. Know, it's lateral thinking it's it's understanding client problems it's coming up with solutions it's learning all the time it's really dynamic uh, and it's always on yeah, that that part that's for sure. It, <laughs> it is definitely always on. But I get I get what you're talking about, you know. And so you, I'm curious, working when you, you you mentioned a good point that you stressed on, which is we are in the service and you are in the service industry, so you're it kind of comes with its own what's the word like requirements, should we say, or expectations? You know, clients are not the most forgiving people. Speaking as both a client and as and someone who has been on the other side, I can definitely attest to that. Um, but it's interesting that you think that there is there's space for you to, if the culture is good enough, it can offset, I guess, some of the maybe challenges or realities of the industry. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think you have to, you know, you have to work on yourself. You, you know, it's that growth mindset versus fix. Like, you can't just blame the industry or blame your company and go jumping around to different companies and hope something changes. Like, you can, but think of sport, right? If a footballer changes team the whole time uh, because he can't get in the team, like, who, whose fault is it? The club or him? Like, you know, or her? Like, but... I see I, I I think that you can definitely work on yourself through these environments sometimes it's toxic sometimes you need to uh, figure it out but you know I say service industry because it's what I know and we have a lot of clients we do a lot of branded content at Augustus Media on Love in Dubai and, and lots of things like that uh, but also we serve an audience yeah so we create content for the public uh, often for free and then we also uh, you know, we also then might have customers. So if someone pays for subscription or something like that, so that's that's the customer part is like having a restaurant with a customer. The client part is a little bit more B two B. You know, they are demanding, but they're not as demanding as um, having the burger shop or whatever. It's sure, not it's sure. not every five minutes or whatever. They kind of uh, you know they they do tend to work. Monday to Friday, nine to six, <laughs> kind of not not at the moment, but like, but like you know. So I think it's I think it's all different on service levels. Like obviously the creative industry and the marketing industry isn't the same as uh, different type of service jobs. There's sure. a there's a higher profit margin. There's a higher premium and, and different things like that. And usually you get paid a bit more. But um, but yeah, it, I think it's a good framework to to think about this as well. You know. 
Yeah, no, I think, and I think that's fair. You know, I think applying, you know, that kind of mindset to not just, you know, yourself, but maybe to the work you do, to the industry you're in. I know, at t I think the football example you used is good. If a player does jump around from club to club and he's not being picked or he's not starting at some point, you know, you kind of have to look at, okay, yeah, maybe I'm, maybe I am the problem. But on football, since I know that's something you like and you're a Blackburn Rovers supporter, which is, you know, a shame. <laughs> you must be going through a very tough time <laughs> over the last few years. Um, but you also did some coaching. I know, I know you did some coaching and you talked about how you sometimes implement, uh, you, you take from that experience and implement to in the work you do now. And you said that business unlike business is the ultimate sport because there's no end game unlike you know an athlete that has a finite time you know you got to make the most of their career in that time and you know that's it and business like you said i think you mentioned warren buffett he's still chilling and he's still running companies god knows how old he is at this point so talk us through i guess the the parallels you see between like managing for example a football team or sports and you know running a business yeah i think i could even go further than the time that a player has uh, being the other reason why I think business is the ultimate sport is you can actually write your own narrative you know after a player finishes they can coach but they're coaching in a club that they don't own and they're a manager That's in a true. club like what what does Jose Mourinho own what does Alex Ferguson own some horses <laughs> I'm joking but no but I mean I mean, I mean you know I, I mean he doesn't own so what I like about business and there are some like you know like David Beckham kind of owns into Miami and I, I think you know I think that's interesting like I think good you know we're looking at what's happening Ronaldo at the moment and if he had the right advisors you know would would they have got him a deal that got him equity in a club as opposed to just this big salary, you know? And how would that change things in the future? Because I think that that's interesting. Like, the business of sport is is one thing. Like, you can own clubs and things like that. Uh, but going back to the question, you know, I, I just like that, that sort of business you can write a narrative like the Berkshire Hathaway model can't be replicated it's basically a dividends business right yep. like like people the analysis don't really get that one right but like it's basically a dividends business so uh and you know but he's kind of uniquely created it and I think uh I'm kind of uh inspired by that like I think you know you don't necessarily have to follow one path you don't have to follow uh, what people are saying you don't have to follow let's go down this uh, you know series ABC VC thing you don't have to follow uh, the different type of listing or private or whatever you can literally devise your own holding structure your own thing um, in terms of management yeah I've learned a lot you know to, to summarize it would be hard but I apply uh, team mentality and coaching and momentum like our values our tenacity velocity and ingenuity um, Blackburn's uh, Blackburn is 147 years old uh, yesterday the day before and they have uh, they had a crest at the time in Latin arte et labore which basically means style and hard work style and graft and uh, you know there's ethics there's there's um, not ethics but there's values in in itself in mm, that and I yeah. think you know uh, we we don't have the same but we basically have that mentality about ingenuity like there's a bit of genius in everything we do so if I'm coaching a football team I'll let the players make their decisions I used to coach a football team 
in a rugby boarding school. And in the rugby boarding school, if you know the sport of rugby, you're not really able to think, you could, people debate this, but like you can't change your position, right? Like the formation's the same for every team. You have to have the same number of 15 players in the same position. And all the drills, there is some uh, practice in the drills, but sure. the same formations are the same time. Otherwise, people might get hurt. Whereas in football, it's completely different. Yeah, right? free like, flow. Yeah, all the time. Like it's just there's always... And I remember coaching a team once and uh, we were... We were we went to outside of the uh, the pale in Ireland, but outside of the the normal playing against rugby schools, and we played against the local district school schools, boys. Yeah. And uh, they hammered us. They beat us badly. <laughs> and like I remember afterwards, like analysing, like why were they so much better than us? Because mm. it was basically street football against boarding school football. <laughs> it was basically street football against rugby players playing football. And like our guys were good, but they just weren't thinking on the pitch. And those guys were taking short fo- corners, short kickouts, uh, quick tip-offs. They were just doing things that wasn't uh, that they were just thinking all the time as the game was happening mm. and we were kind of standing there, you know? And like, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think like, you know, that's important in, in, a, in a lateral thinking sort of non-engineer business that, that this is and media and it sort of empowers people to think. And, you know, same with uh, momentum and energy, right? Like momentum is, you know, the best example is in tennis, right? You might see someone lose a set six love and win the next six love. But when the person's winning, you almost think that, it's over yeah that's right? it it's done yeah. yeah you think like there's no way like you just watch it and they just and then suddenly 30 minutes later you're like is this the same match <laughs> yeah. you know and, and that's the thing about momentum and things like that and team and energy that people people um, who try and automate everything don't really get that's a v- so many interesting points that you discussed first of all I really like how <clears throat> when you're talking about that how with business, unlike, you know, maybe in certain more rigid structures, you can shape whatever narrative you want, you know, whether it's how many employees, home, like, you know, work from home, work from here, you know, there's, it's a free flow. You can, there's no, I guess, set formula on how you can do what you want to do, which I guess is quite a, um, it's quite liberating in a way, you know, because it's like you take your experience, you take all the lessons you've learned, you've seen what you like and don't like, and you can pick and choose from the best, you know, implement it. Um, unlike, you know, when in, uh, for example, in the sports analogy, I think the rugby is a great example because it is, you know, you have five of these players, five of those, you know, and so on. And how, what I'm curious about is, so you said your values are tenacity, velocity, and ingenuity. Now, the lesson, and I think the example you use, so how do you, using that example, the, that story you just told us about, you know, when you played against that outside school and, you know, you just got, got smashed. I guess, the, what are the lessons that you took from that in terms of, because in order to, like, in order to progress, you have to sometimes make some really tough decisions. And that might be, you know, next game, for, in that example, you got to leave, you know, these two players out, bring some new ones in. And I guess looking at now, looking at business, when it comes to, I guess, building your team and managing it and understanding, you know, when is the time to, you know, maybe pull the plug, you know, unfortunately, or, you know, we need to maybe build on what we already have. How do you, I guess, make those distinctions and how do you, how do you approach it? Because obviously that can be, you know, 
quite stressful at times. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things in that. Like, it's definitely a leadership style. Like, you know, some of the things I would have done at the time when I was coaching might have been trying to be too persuasive, trying to sort of put ideas into the player's head about a style of play or about, you know, reading the game before it happens, which is fine. But what I, what I think, you know, sometimes you might give the wrong advice or you might get people motivated too much and going out and think that they're amazing and maybe they're not amazing. Maybe maybe, <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe they come back and lose and it's like, oh, maybe we were too... We were too we thought we were too good. We just show up. We can win. Like there's different things on on that side of things on uh, persuasion and, and motivation. Uh, you know, with decision making in in the business, uh, the momentum, the velocity, value is related to you. You know, you you have to to do something right. You kind of need the right energy and momentum behind it, and there you can't do everything at the same time. So uh, there aren't some. You know, it's like juggling balls, like you can't do everything right. And, you know, there's something coming up at the moment where, you know, one of the markets that we're in isn't going too well. And uh, we're there, say, 18 months and a few months into it, I kind of knew and I had the chance to pull the plug, but uh, I didn't. And now I don't regret it because, uh, because, you know, it doesn't really matter if you've got a really long term view on it. You know, and now we have the right reasons to change direction there. Um, and it feels that we kind of gave it the chance, like if we would jump too soon. But these are all decisions in business and exactly, life. Yeah. And I think that my view to it is that if you can remain consistent, if you can show up every day, I mean every day, <laughs> if you can show up every day and uh, if, you, if you're applied all the time, um, and then if you can cr- create this sort of uh, environment around you, you know, there are things that will go in your favor that you don't control and there are things that won't. But if you're on top of it enough to sort out the problem when you have that energy and when you have that focus uh, and then you use some experience to deal with it, there's different styles. Like some people like to go kind of all in and all heavy and burn out and, you know, go for the big goals. I prefer a more steady uh, steady you know, build yeah steady like I, I like longevity I like long term I like looking at things uh, you know everything compounds right so fitness compounds investments compounds knowledge compounds and you know when you're building blocks like those little bits on top of it audience compounds you know if you post every day and you get more views and more engagement it grows it builds etc like 92 episodes of this podcast <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, very kind of you to say that um on uh, on the topic of um, you know, I think the story you mentioned is really interesting. On uh, I don't know what the the market you're entering is, but that you knew quite quickly that okay, this is not probably going the way we would have maybe either expected it to go or wanted it to go. But making the decision, and you said looking at if you look at something, I guess like what I took from that is if you look at something long term enough, then what's happening today doesn't seem like such a big deal. But also, I think there's a time, and like you said, with experience, there's a time when you know, like, even if I look at this long term, like, I, I don't see it, you know, playing out. And I know you guys have, yeah, I know you, Love in Dubai was like the, I guess, the, the flagship. This is where, this is what, like, kicked it off, you know, and then came Love in Saudi and so on. And the story with Love in Dubai was really interesting. I didn't know, you know, I didn't, hadn't heard about Love in, you know, Dublin before. I didn't, I never knew about that. And... But you saw a model there that worked and you're like, okay, this the region here could use, you know, could use something like that. Um, so 
On the Love in Dubai topic, I got many questions because I think it's very interesting how things have, how you built it over the last few years. So first of all, I, I didn't know you guys about seven days. It's so funny. I was actually speaking to a friend of mine literally a few days ago. I'm like, what happened to seven days? Where did that go? And then I found out, I'm like, okay, you guys bought what the, you know, the last bit of it, I think, you know, uh, a few years ago. Um, and then uh, with Loving, and then I know you guys launched Loving Saudi and now you're in 16 different territories. One thing that really struck me, and I think this is something as a content creator, I'm genuinely interested to learn from you is that in 2016, you guys had about 200, you said 250,000 views a month. Uh, and a year later, you were at 2.9 million. So I'm like, okay, so clearly Richard knows how to build audiences. My question is like, how, how do you build it? What are the like, what would you advise, for example, for someone like me on how to build an audience? Because I can speak, you know, honestly and freely over the last, I've been going for two and a half, two and a half years now. And do I have an audience now? Yes. Is it anywhere near it should be, in my opinion, for the level of work I've put in and how consistent I've been? No. So, you know, a couple of questions in there. But first, I guess, let's start with how do you build, how did you guys build that audience? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think it's disingenuous on yourself to sort of compare it because, you know, there might be fast and slow news, right? There might be clickbait, social media, likes, engagement, and then, you know, someone listening to a podcast for 40 minutes, 45 minutes. So it's hard to kind of compare. Uh, but, you know, the uh, short answer is that we growth hacked, we did clickbait, we posted all the time and we developed formats and we A-B tested and we saw what worked. Uh, you know, and we knew what we wanted to achieve. Like there was love in Dublin, uh, but love in Dublin was, was then very different to what we sort of devised, and and yeah, we we adapted. Once we bought out of them, uh, we adapted it for the region even more, and uh, you know, because media is different over here, and True, yeah. and also the audience is different over here. The things Irish people like aren't isn't reflective of what <laughs> of what a, a, a modern you know what people in in this city likes. Uh, so yeah, so but. Audience building, you know, I think if you've, you know, you could ask creators and content creators what they do, what influencers do. Um, I think media is a bit different. I think okay. if you, you know, going back to uh, we were, well, we were talking earlier about sort of mindset brands and loving, loving is loving your life. It's a mindset brand. It's populist. Yeah. yeah. We speak to, we speak to 18 to 34 year olds mainly, but mm. it's mainly mindset. So it's age agnostic and, you know, we really go for that populist mainstream stuff. Gotcha. Um, so we don't we don't post press releases. We don't post things. We say communities and people, not companies. Like the companies are ads, but the rest is just what happens in the street. And uh, you know, so it's like a running commentary of life in Dubai, basically. Yeah, or what's and going on. over yeah. seven years, like it's 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 really incredible how many things people send us. You know, like we're I'm shocked the behavior type of people they just tag love in Dubai and everything. Oh, really? Everything they do, like. And I was wondering to myself, like, why don't I? Like, I'm putting up some stuff on social. Like, why don't I? Like, what are they thinking of when they're tagging love in Dubai? Like, what? How, how has that happened? Like, how mm. has that happened? And it's happened because 
we basically engage with everything. It's the multiple lightweight engagements. We reshare, we capture things in real time, but we design a team. Like we're sitting here, you just walked through the office and people are leaving. People are leaving because it's six, seven o'clock, but we're not done. There's someone else in another place working for four hours posting now tonight. Yeah, yeah. You know, because... And that's the difference. Now, other news organizations have shift work. I, I get it. But, like, you know, there, there is that sort of um, uh, constant publishing. And that, that's our approach. That works for us. Yeah. And on the, on the concept of, I guess, uh, how, what you were saying, you know, you were talking about, you know, the clickbait news, you know, the you growth hacked it, you know, the populist kind of stuff. Um, so on so you mentioned Gary Vee earlier and about his his philosophy of you know just post content consistently do you do you agree with that do you think i'm not saying he's definitely not wrong given the success he's had but i'm saying is is that i guess the is that a key that a lot of people myself maybe possibly included are not using is that the difference maker because i struck cuz i've tried and done different things you know like for example, my first year, I would post once a week. You know, I'd release the episode, there wouldn't be anything, but now there's like content and now there's this and that. And honestly, <laughs> I don't like I don't I don't believe that content is the is the the key anymore. You know, the 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 consistent like the over posting or daily posting or whatever the case might be. What are your what are your thoughts around like content? Yeah, I think the you know, fast and slow content, like, you know, this show yeah you're right like it doesn't need to have 50 posts a day but i think if you're doing local news and you're essentially a tabloid then it needs it um okay. like if gary's posting all the time then fine but he also you know he has different approaches as well but you know media has always evolved like the trends in media right now are podcasts and newsletters and one a week is fine one a month you know like it's fine and and you can have a very engaged audience mm-hmm. um you don't always have to chase the algorithms like the other trend in media is vertical video, right? TikTok sort of forced everyone to do it. And now it's not even TikToks, it's reels, it's shorts, it's everything like that. And, you know, the ads are coming there and it's yeah, just a big are. space. So, uh, you know, that we, but I think Augustus Media, like we, you walk through our studios, they're designed for text, audio and video. So we believe a modern media company should do all three. Yeah. And it should do fast and slow news. And that's the, that's the, that's our view on it, right? Okay. Like, Disney might have a different view. Apple might have a different view. Like what Apple create on Apple TV is different to what Gary Vaynerchuk does, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's very different. But, but, but like you know, he would then probably still love a show on Apple TV, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. um, yeah. But but I think you know, me- media is, has different forms. Like Disney's view on media is different. Uh, you know, News Corp Rupert Murdoch's view on media is different. Uh, different lenses, different approaches. Uh, it depends on your objective as a company. It depends on, on who audience you're trying to reach. And then you just have to be commercially savvy as well, right? Like if, yeah. you, if you want to do it as a business or if it's just a hobby, uh, then, you know, you, you kind of have to make decisions related to that too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a very good point, you know, making that distinction because you will approach it in different ways. Um, one thing I've learned, you know, from our conversations so far and maybe something I wasn't aware of is it I get the sense that everything is relative you know it's relative to your industry who you are what your mission is what are you trying to do you know so 
the formula that you guys have, for example, might not be the formula, like you said, Disney might have, or I might have, or everyone exactly. has a different everyone has a different perspective on that. Um, on the audience part, uh, just to round off the audience side, do you believe? <laughs> okay, so I don't know how to phrase this question. Okay, do you believe that if you're gonna start out in creating content in whatever world, whatever medium, whether it's media, whether it's this, whether it's that, do you believe that? The, you have to identify the audience first and then create against that or can you do it the other way create what you like and you build it like the audience gets built that way if you had to fall on either or what would you what would you say uh, you can definitely do both I mean there's many content creators who just start posting stuff and find an audience and people and a following that they didn't really think about it so I agree I think uh, you know, afterwards you can retrofit it and you can call it something and you can build semantics around it and you can kind of say what it is. Uh, you know, I generally think that media can be mediums and media. And, yeah. you know, the media lens is basically, you know, what is that lens? Like, what are you talking about? Mm. Right. And I personally believe that if there's a cohort of behavior, if there's something that people are interested in, then there's, an, there's a business opportunity to create media around that. Yeah. Like, for example, um, if you support a football team or if, you, if, there's a fo- f- if there's a sport that's popular, if paddle tennis is popular, then there could be a digital equivalent to a magazine around paddle, right? Um, you know, I go back to sort of uh, retail investing in the US, right? Robin Hood mm-hmm. uh, yeah. had sort of, I don't forget the numbers, I used to know these stats, but so, something like a few years ago, they used to have 15 million daily traders on Robin Hood and then lo and behold there's a newsletter in New York called Morning Brew it does a daily newsletter that speaks to young people about the trading investment news that isn't Wall Street Journal yeah, yeah. that isn't Bloomberg yeah. and suddenly they get 4 million subscribers right right off that yeah I think there's a correlation I think there's a correlation between those things right if if, uh, if MBA is really popular then uh, ESPN can grow, right? Michael yes. Jordan, can, yeah. right? So yeah. I, th- I think there's a correlation between, right? If Premier League is popular, Sky Sports can grow, gotcha. etc. So, uh, so I think you can create media based on uh, cohorts and behavior. And I think that that's one way to look at things. And, uh, you know, we're talking about sort of uh, passion things and, and uh, you know, sports and verticals, but it can be other things. Like it can be, uh, there's a podcast. There's a magazine in in the U.S. for the future of work. There's many uh, gender specific media titles. There's a female. Impl- I invested in a female platform in Saudi Arabia because uh, it's not a it's not love in Saudi, but it's speaking to uh, females from the Gulf, right? Yeah. And I was speaking to Belkis yesterday, and she's just told me she hired someone from Oman. What she hires in Oman is very different for different reasons. Why I hired. Uh, a student in Muscat, right? Sure. For love of Muscat, but but, but she, she's quite clear on what Balkis for her is going to reach and what it's going to do and who it serves, yeah. you know? Yeah. The execution is tricky, right? And like, you know, the medium of whether she chooses to do fast social things and keep up with everyone on that or whether she's kind of uh, doing slower long form, mm. a thousand words on a newsletter or a 45 minute conversation on a podcast or yeah. a video series or a documentary etc so i think you kind of have to be aware of those things like social media and, and digital you know it's a hungry beast like it's 
you, you, it's never uh, full. It's always hungry. You always yeah. have to feed it. Yeah. The more you put in, and you still need to keep going. So, yeah, you have to sort of bear those things in mind. Yeah, I think that's a great, really, really interesting point that you talked about how, you know, uh, first of all, talking about the difference between, you know, the fast and slow, slow media and how, you know, those things satisfy different audiences. And given the work you're doing, it's going to kind of apply to what you're doing and how uh, an example you use, like how you would hire and the reasons you would hire for serve a different purpose. And, for example, how someone else would. Is it the type of content? Is it the audience I'm trying to reach? Uh, and I think you this should be like a quote, you know, that digital is a hungry beast and social because it really is. And it seems like it never stops. Um, but I'm curious. I know in in the early days you discovered digital and then you did like a course, you know, a night course. And that's what got, kind of got you into it. So you've been in it for over 15 years now. I'm curious what piqued your interest at the beginning. And now, 15 years later, what would you tell what would you have told your younger self? Be like, oh, this is this is actually not what it turned out to be. You know what I do every Saturday? I sit down on the sofa and I read the Financial Times weekend. And I'm 39. When I, I was uh, in my great aunt's house, a farm, in about 2005 in Ireland. And I was reading the FT. I was reading the financial newspaper. And I read a statistic about social media. And uh, that was it. Like that, that planted the seeds, you know, like just looking at business and looking at seeing where things are going. Mm. And uh, it took me, it was really, advertising was really hard industry because it's, it's hard to see, right? Most agencies didn't yeah. talk about themselves. So it's hard to sort of, you know, I didn't, I, I studied in the city, but I didn't come from Dublin. I didn't know many people in that industry. So I found it very hard to get a foot in the door. And that course helped me. And that course helped me, you know, I had a job in outdoor advertising. It helped me get a job in indoor advertising. But it, it, it was literally that. And, you know, I, you know, I say to young, uh, I was on a podcast the weekend and they said, what would you tell young people? I said, get into crypto. But I'm not getting into crypto. Like I'm aware of it and I'm in, in it, but I'm not, um, I'm not making big bets on it. Uh, I'm making big bets on streaming and big bets on different consumption things that I understand and I see the growth. Like yeah. I see the statistics, I see the growth, mm. I see the revenue opportunities, I see the audience opportunities. Uh, it's hard, it requires investment, it requires patience, it requires time, uh, but, I, but I see that and, you know, it might be right, it might be wrong. Like one of the things that, you know, I th it's hard to articulate how he says it, but Warren Buffett sort of says that, you know, there, there's a you could you could pick the wrong industry, right? Yeah. Like you could pick stamp collecting, or you can pick, um, you know, a type of, uh, you know, they say wrong time. Like you know, you can manufacture something that isn't popular at that time. So you have to be cognizant of that as well, right? Like you know, you know, maybe maybe my passion, or maybe someone's passion for solving the streaming industry might be better served in going all in on Web3, etc. Sure. Uh, but I don't think we're closing. Like Personally, I view, I think Web3 is an extension of Web2. I don't think it's replacing the internet. I think it's building on top of it. Interesting, and okay. I, and I think Web2 it builds on top of Web1. And if you think of it in terms of companies, right, Google's markup, uh, although they're all down at the moment, but Google's markup was always higher than Facebook's. Uh, pretty much and 
Web two companies didn't really surpass Web one companies, and I don't. I I personally think that Web three will just be an extension on top of that, and I think Web two companies will be well served in Web three, just like Web one companies are well served now. Like Web one publishers uh, on Google are doing really well now because of e commerce. You know, there's a company listed in 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 London and they're global called Future PLC, which have taken all the old magazines and they do great digital revenue uh, they do far better digital revenue than any of the buzzfeeds or any of these companies mm-hmm. any of the web 2 companies so I, I i think that companies like us who are essentially a web 2 social media publisher i think if we play our cards right and we understand the the, the what the promise of web 3 is to provide value on the content created in web 2 uh, you know it's that sort of that missing link you know, the $80 billion of advertising that Facebook got and didn't give anyone a penny, pretty much. You know, that's coming back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of money to get back. Um, <laughs> um, I, I like where you talked about how, you know, there is a, that Web3, for example, builds on Web2 um, and how the, it's not a, uh, it's not a revolution, it's an evolution in a way. It's allowing you as, you know, for, and for content creators and streamers uh, to, you know, start amplifying what you can do and from a revenue perspective as well and the possibilities that come from that. And it's interesting how it seemed like you've been very logical about, you know, you looked at when you were younger, you looked at the numbers, you're like, okay, this is where things seem to be going. I want to, you know, be get a part of that. And it seems that you're doing something similar now, you know, with Web3 and where that's coming. And I just have a few more questions for you, but kind of leads on to uh, my last two is, um, so I know, you, so on that podcast, you talked about how the three different ways that you guys are, you know, making revenue, you know, there's the content with, you know, client servicing, uh, there's the creator economy, you know, revenue subscriptions, and then there's direct to consumer. Now, I'd say personally, over the last few years, I've noticed a big rise in direct to consumer. So I guess from your perspective, is Web3 that next is does Web3 take all these to another level or does Web3 give you the the potential for revenue stream number four yeah uh, it's a good question i think it goes back to what you're saying about you can you know when you were saying about businesses not having rules etc but i think structure is important and structure and framework like in, in our company everyone knows what department they are in yeah sure they collaborate but everyone knows where they sit who they report to all that structure despite the offices despite the moving parts and the same with our business everyone knows what our business revenue lines are yeah and uh you know so we might you know in time as the company grew we added a department so we we took some of the commercial department and some of the content department and created the product department right so the project management and it went together and that's the product department which has a bit of ad tech a bit of software development and ux ui they all sit together now right so the same way with with our revenue models they might evolve Uh, i think they're kind of future proof because i think direct to consumer is a bit broad right like if if Disney have a park, that could be direct-to-consumer because customers pay a ticket to go to the turnstile. Um, but equally, direct-to-consumer could be the Disney Plus subscription exactly. or it could be, the, um, you know, it could be the, the product in the store that they get in their licensing business. So it depends how you break down business units and divisions as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, revenue streams like other people can have, 
you could say other people would say that doesn't really mean anything the three revenue streams that I've described that you that you've sort of repeated there um, people would say well what's love in Dubai's revenue well what's love in Saudi's revenue well what's Mashi's revenue and then we could but I prefer to do it this way because I think it helps us plan um, and a plan for for say web 3 gotcha. like you're right the audience revenue can be the creator economy or it can be uh, display advertising on the site as well but the direct to consumer could be the token economy so uh yeah basically and that and that's one way of thinking about getting our guys to think about uh you know our whole team to think about what what are we doing here how are we looking at payment gateways how are we looking at value exchange when mm. we're giving content to people yeah you know and um, you know, on this podcast, if you did another 20 minutes episode of the bonus, you could put it on Apple and you could charge extra. Right? Now, are, why aren't Apple thinking? Why isn't that token based right now? Will it be? Probably. I mean, you know, uh, I personally invested in Dogecoin, not the meme, not because it was a meme coin. I invested it in 2018 because I believed in this stuff. I believe I read that it was that was the tipping thing it was the bit about the content mm. and uh you know when elon musk bought twitter like he you know most people expect him to add dogecoin as a payment gateway on on twitter right and that will be the last laugh on people who kept saying the media narrative coin, that was yeah. a mean coin yeah maybe but you know and maybe it's a, maybe it's a pro- uh, Ponzi scheme, like it's not investment advice. Like maybe it's a, it's a whole joke. Like everything's down at the moment or whatever. But but I I do I do fundamentally believe that one on sort of uh, fintech. I'm not an expert, but I just think that things should move faster, right? Like sure, uh, you know, Ubers get you places faster. Then why doesn't money move faster? And I I think that you know I think there's a case for that sort of speed and smart contracts kind of like lo- make logic sense on some way and equally with um equally with sort of content and providing value to the creator yeah you know you if you're creating content on a platform and that platform is benefiting from you creating content then where's your kickback and i think that's where the tokens come in yeah um i think you made a really good point about you know i uh on the direct consumer model and how through that you have there's so many different ways you can go about it and how, you know, maybe from a media or content creation perspective, you would kind of bypass, you know, the traditional ways that people make money um, through content. But also you made a good point that, you know, the, uh, just now about how if things do move in that way, you know, if platforms are benefiting off you, then where is your, you know, your take? You know, I think it should be, that's, I think that's fair. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward, but I do feel Podcasting is an interesting world because I think there are people who have are on platforms that you pay for and there's others like mine that are a bit are free because everyone has a different perspective. I just have my own view on how I want to do things. But I think now if we're looking at, you know, uh, Web3 and the options that are going to be available to people, I think that is going to, you, you will see a rise in that more of a, subscription model for content creators because I think it makes sense. I know there's stuff like Twitch now and YouTube and wherever there are ways that people are doing that, but I think it will take that to the next level. Um, just to round off, Richard, from this fantastic conversation, man, it's really been really, really interesting uh, talking to you and learning a lot from you. Um, I know you guys uh, with Love in Dubai or with Love in, the Love in brand 
are in, you know, 16 territories. And uh, I heard you say you're like, you know, I want to be in 100 territories, you know, across, you know, the Middle East and whatever. And I don't want to be defined by a number. So I guess from your perspective, what's I'm curious, what's the reason you want to you want to expand to that level? And why do you feel that the Levin brand is so uh, replicable no matter where you put it. Yeah, I mean, we wrote down a mission like seven years ago to be the modern media company of choice in the Middle East, and that means that we want people uh, in the Arab world, really, we want people to choose our brands and then by default advertisers to choose it. And uh, that's the challenge. Like, you see a map on the wall out there. It's a reminder as well for people not just to think that we're... C- creating content in Dubai, but we can think of the region as well. Yeah. Um, you know, how you do that is, is different. Like, you know, Love in Dubai could be a regional brand, right? Like, uh, yeah. at what point did Washington Post become more than a state and a national title and a same point about New York Times, right? So Love in Dubai could be a, a regional or a global title. It depends on how you view it. Um, you know, uh, I think the model for local works and the second part of your question mm. i think what's replicable about it is uh the same rules apply right like wait, what country are you from me uh kuwait okay kuwait so uh if i told you uh there's every arab country has its own favorite sweets and its own dishes right <laughs> yeah, so seriously. i'm sure that i'm sure that I, if i if we launched love in kuwait yeah most likely Bilarabi, and if we did it uh, we would say that the top 10, uh, you know, we'd write an article about the sweets or the desserts that your mum makes or whatever, you know, or we would say uh, these these chocolate bars that you remember growing up in Kuwait City if you grew up there, or we'd, we would, you know, the same rules apply. It applies in Lebanon, it applies in Jordan, it applies in Ireland. You know, nostalgia works. Yeah. Proud of where you're true. from. The brands and the people that were born out of there uh, pride in that like we wrote about the crime prince crime prince here a lot in on love in dubai at the start um because he creates great content on instagram <laughs> and we write about the crime prince in saudi arabia and now in doha as well right like so so a, a, lo- a lot of it is formula right it, it doesn't gotcha. look like formula but a lot of it is interesting and, yeah that's very very interesting <laughs> i i never knew that but uh, i think it makes a lot of sense you know capitalizing on people who are you know notable figures in their respective spaces and you know they're making content so why not build on top of that i think it's a good plan yeah um richard i have just two more questions for you these are questions i ask all my guests so uh looking back either at your life either personally or professionally whatever it might be when i ask you the question what are you most proud of what would you say uh, I, I don't. I don't really know. It's hard to uh, pick one thing. Uh, you know, I, I don't really believe in sort of uh, legacy or ego or one things like that. You know, that maybe there's some personal things. Um, I like triathlon. I completed an Ironman. Oh, that, you did, and that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't easy. I failed the first time, and it took me two years of training. There was. Uh, so I'm proud of that but you know my brother just finished the New York Marathon yesterday and I did that in 2010 Uh, I just remember you know some of those things you feel proud when you're crossing the line because they're hard (laughs) (laughs) and you know sometimes you get emotional because like you just think of how hard you work for it yeah and uh, but you know I'm proud of I'm you know I get joy out of seeing the team at work here I get joy out of seeing young people 
uh, who are who want to have a career walk through these doors get a job and um at the end of the year being able to celebrate and maybe give them a bonus like yeah that, that's probably but i don't take it for granted for a second i don't get complacent for a second because <laughs> it's 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 um it's fragile right and you yeah, have to keep going true, true. <laughs> <laughs> very very true uh congrats on doing an ironman man even if i trade my whole i would never even think or consider doing it um but i think you know what i'm getting from that is you're just proud of seeing there was, uh, I guess, the results of what you've worked so hard for, you know, whatever it was, whether it was a triathlon, whether it was building this business or whether it was the success of someone starting their career. Um, and um, and the last message, uh, I'll read the question, I'll, read, I'll redo it. And the last question I have for you, Richard, is what is the message you'd like everyone to take home with them today? Uh, just support Khaled because he's putting a lot of effort into this. And uh, best quote ever. Guys. Give him feedback. Tell him what you want on the show. Like, yeah. comment, subscribe, and uh, yeah, build this build this podcast. Yeah, I, that's the best last message I've ever heard in all my episodes, guys. Uh, Matt Richard, this has been really an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Congrats on everything you've done. I've learned a lot from you, and I think anyone. Either they're a content creator, they're in media, they're working at agencies. So many people can take a lot from what we talked about today. So thanks cool. so much, man. I really thanks a lot. It. Thank you too uh, for taking the time. It's a pleasure being on the show. No, thanks Cheers. so much. Guys, to everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, if you like Love in Dubai, then you know who Richard is. Check out his <laughs> stuff. Uh, please make sure to like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast at hope.it.helps on Instagram. And as always, guys, hope it helps. Hope it Peace. helps. Cheers.